we're building a culture here. All right? So if you want to open your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 4, and also uh, later at the end, we'll get to 1 Samuel 12. So Proverbs 4, and then 1 Samuel 12. And so, Father, we just come to you. I come to you now, and, and I know you've put this word in my heart, and I ask that you would help me to say what I need to say, help me to say it with the grace that you have upon it, and that it would bring transformation and breakthrough in this house. God, I ask that it would be something that we add to our tool belt as we move forward in building a kingdom culture here, as we move forward in building um, a church that looks like you want it to look, diverse, happy, righteous, powerful, without spot, without wrinkle. Come on, Lord, that's who we want to be. So I ask that you will continue to do that in this house. And we, we will look for your activity, and we will join in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 20. <clears throat> now Solomon is doing what his dad did for him, and he's recounting and telling what happened. And he says, he's saying, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, lean in and listen to the things I tell you. Listen to the wisdom that I'm telling you. Do not let these words depart from your eyes. Isn't that interesting? From your eyes. Why? Why does why he address the eyes? Wouldn't he say ears there? No, because our eyes are what we focus and look at. So say the eye is the lamp to the whole body. Did you know that? Yeah. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is holy, then the Bible says in Matthew that the whole body will be holy. But if the eye is not pure then the whole body will be full of darkness. So the I, the thing that I give my attention to, my focus and my drive, the things I go after, that's my eyes. And he's saying, draw your eyes toward the righteousness of God. Draw your eyes to the teachings and the wise sayings that I'm telling you now. Because, come on, keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who seek them and find them. And they are health to your bones and flesh. God's way is just the best way. And it says, verse 23, uh, some translations say, above all else, guard your heart, right? That's the one I memorized, the NIV version when I was a kid. This version is the New King James, and it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Tend to your heart with all diligence. Why? Why? For out of it springs the issues of life. Every fountain in my life. So I want you to picture your life as, as fountains springing from somewhere. So your, your marriage is a fountain that's springing from somewhere in your heart. Your finances is a stream, a fountain coming from your heart. The way you treat authority. The way we drive on the road. The way we have fun. Every fountain comes from a source in us. So we're very diverse people. We're not one-sided people. We have all kinds of things that we're, that we're involved in, right? You have, you have families, you have work, you have your home, you have all these things that we're juggling all at once. Well, those are all, they're not just things we're juggling. They're, they're springs coming from somewhere. So 
So if my heart, if I keep my heart above everything else and I diligently guard my heart, every one of those springs will be pure, will prosper. Come on. This is how we have life. This is the kingdom. Doing things God's way in the heart always produces righteousness and fruitfulness and prosperity in every area of our life. But it starts with putting our eye focused on one thing, him, keeping his laws at the front of our mind, hiding them in our heart, so that as we hide them in our heart, they affect everything that we're involved in. You're, going, you're learning things in the kingdom now that when you get in your work setting and there's chaos at work, you're going to get squeezed and kingdom wisdom is going to come out of you and you didn't even think of it. It's just going to happen because you're tending your garden of, the, of your heart and a spring of wisdom is going to pop out and you're like, man, that was really smart. Where did that come from? And God's going to say it came from your heart because you're hiding my wisdom there. Sometimes we think, God, I'm seeking wisdom to be a good parent. Jesus, help us. If we seek wisdom in parenting, then wisdom can affect finances. Because wisdom is wisdom. Sometimes we like take a targeted thing. We're like, God, I need this one little thing in my life. And we see God as this. He's just going to point attention to one thing. But God's not like that. God is very big. And he's ever expanding. And when he fills a room, he continues to fill the room. So when we ask for God to give us wisdom in parenting or marriage or business, it will affect every area of our life. We will all of a sudden have wisdom on things we didn't have wisdom in before. Because it comes from this place in our heart that is a wellspring that affects every fountain of our life. There's a song that this guy named Josh Baldwin, he's one of my... He's one of my favorite worship leaders right now. He just he reminds me of my brother so much. <laughs> the beard, the way he leads, everything about him, the gentleness. And he sings a song called, All My Fountains Are In You. And all my strength, all my hope comes from you alone. And they have a saying now. Like their Bethel school, they say, all your fountains are in God. All your fountains, every one of them is grounded in him. I want to take hold of that. I want to, above all else, guard what he's doing here, hide his word there, look intently with my eyes upon his wisdom, upon his law, even his commandments. I love that Shagun said, this isn't just a a suggestion to, to pay our tithe. He was using that reference. It's a commandment. I even want to look at the commandments of God, even the ones that offend me. Because when I look at them and I hide them in my heart, it will become a wellspring that will pop up in every area of my life. It will break out in wisdom in every area. Amen? Amen. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away deceitfulness from your mouth and and put perverse lips far from you. Don't say everything we think. Yeah? We know what's in here because it comes out of our mouth. Somewhere. We even say stuff other people don't ever hear. We just say it under our breath to ourselves. <laughs> We're like, it's safer that way. We don't need everyone to hear every. But even then, we need to guard what we say. Let your eyes look straight ahead and let your eyelids look right before you. Ponder, I love this, ponder the path for your feet. Don't just go headlong into stuff. Don't just go for it and not even ask the Lord. Ponder, 
is this where I should go? Is this what I should do? Is this wisdom? Come on. And then it says, and let all your ways be established. Hmm. Do not turn to the right or to the left. And keep your feet from evil. Everyone say amen to that. So let's apply that now to the church. So we talked personally right there that if we guard our heart, it affects every spring that springs up in our life, from parenting to marriage to business to fun to entertainment. Guarding this secret place with him and his wisdom in our heart will affect every area, right? That's for us personally. For the church, it will affect the culture. See, we're building a culture here. It's funny, we're, I was talking with, with Hank a little bit too. They're studying this, this as well and on how to build a culture in a, in a church or organization and how hard it is to build culture. Culture happens whether we mean for it to or not. We're always building culture. Did you know that? Our home has a culture to it, a field, the way we do things, even if we don't mean for it to. So culture is going to happen. But to get the culture we want takes time. It takes intent. It's, so we talked personally. Now we're going to guard the heart of the church. We're going to guard the heart, the culture of the church with all diligence. Because there's a culture we want to have here. We want to see a kingdom culture. We want, there's, there's eight different cultures, prayer, prophetic, kingdom, supernatural, culture of honor, all these different culture of, wisdom, uh, of, of radical obedience, culture of worship and creativity. There are, there are specific things, a grace culture. We want these things here. Well, we can't just say that we want them here. We have to be intent in making these things become the culture we have because we will look back over time and be like, we have a culture here and we didn't know we built this culture. We have been spending a, a couple of years, and it's, I can't believe it's almost been two years since, since we've merged the two churches, the two completely different cultures together. And we tried this grand experiment, right, of merging two cultures, to get two leadership structures, two different things. And we're in the middle of now, okay, now we know what kind of culture we want, and we're guarding that culture. We're putting time. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did. I wish we could just list the culture we want here on the wall here, and then it just happened. But it requires time. It requires focus. It's not just declare. It's focus. It's looking at these things. It requires energy. We can't grow weary when we don't have what we want yet. It requires buy-in. It requires that everyone in the culture that's part of it contributes. Did you know that all of you contribute to the culture of the house? It requires that all of us buy in and say, I actually affect the culture. Come on. And it requires buy-in for me saying, yeah, I want that too. <laughs> Y'all okay? It requires communication. We celebrate and, re and we reward what we like about the culture. So when, when we see the culture we want, when someone rises up and they say, man, I used to have this, this struggle in my life and I've stopped doing this thing and now I'm doing this righteous thing in its place, we celebrate with them. Good for you. I don't care what it is. I used to. I used to flip everybody off when I drove and now I don't do that. I only flip off people when I get mad at them. All right, well, good for you. At least you're not flipping everybody off anymore, right? It's a good start. That's how you build culture. You celebrate the process of growing toward God. We reward, and there's a reward attached to that. 
Well, I used to do this thing, or I used to think this way, and now it's shifting, and I don't think that way anymore. Good for you. God rewards you when you seek him. That's how we build culture. So we celebrate and we reward what we want to have, right? Today I want to talk just for the next few minutes on the other side of this. To build culture, you also have to confront what you don't want. And that's the hard part. <laughs> Confronting what we don't want. See, we, we, in our homes with our kids, I think we spend way too much on that side instead of the reward side. So our kids do something we don't want, and oh yeah, we're going to confront that with the paddle. We're going to have a board of education in our home. That's what my dad called it. It was a board of education. I'm not kidding you. He called it the board of education, and he fashioned a paddle. I'm not, he, he took time. He went to the garage. He took wood and made it somewhat smaller than it was and shaped it so that it fit his hand perfectly. He put duct tape around it after he painted it black, and he called it the board of education. <laughs> Because when I would have behavior that was not the culture that he wanted in the house, he was going to confront it. I'm not against all of that. It worked. Thank God for every one of those. The first, all you firstborn in the house, too. Thank God that we got more than all the rest, right? <laughs> but we, we're, we confront what we don't want because we want to protect it. Oh, we don't act like that. You know, in our house... We, what we confront the most is when we treat each other wrong. Yeah. That's not how you treat your brother, buddy. Come on. That's not okay. You lose your fortnight. I hate that. You lose your fortnight privileges because you mistreated your brother. Not because you said a curse word, which thank God they don't do that. Not because you did this wrong other thing, right? It's because of weight. So we're confronting the culture. And we don't reward enough when they are nice to each other. In the church, we do the opposite. <laughs> We're too scared to confront anything yeah. because pff, just, there's a thousand great churches in Dallas-Fort Worth. I can just go somewhere else. You're right. So we don't confront anything. And, and here's the other. Let's get to this. I, I don't want to spend forever on this, but this is actually really positive because when we hear the word confront, we're triggered. Am I telling the truth? Because when we were little, confrontation um, looked a certain way. It meant that I did something wrong, and someone who's bigger and more powerful than me is going to crush me for what I did wrong. And they're going to squeeze me until I see it their way. That's confrontation. The dictionary even defines it like this. It's a hostile or argumentative situation or meeting between two opposing parties. Now, how do you have confrontation in the church if that's the definition? This says that there's a winner and a loser because they're opposing parties. And it's going to be hostile and argumentative. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. It communicates that both parties don't want to be there. But the kingdom and the way I love Danny Silk, so I'm going to quote him. His definition of confrontation is a respectful conversation between two powerful people that address a specific issue that is hurting the connection. For the purpose of achieving mutual understanding of the issue and building a plan to adjust our behavior so that we can better meet the needs of our relationship. Which ultimately results in restoring and strengthening our bond. Yes. Amen. 
instead of destroying it. Come on. If you want that quote, I'll put it somewhere. We can send it out. It, you can also find it on his website, keepingyourloveon.org. Kylo Ran or whatever. I don't know. Is that one of the Star Wars? Am I right? <laughs> Ren. See, I've never seen any of it. But uh, anyway, so this is confrontation in the, in the church. It's not an argumentative discussion between only one powerful person and one weak person where there's one winner and one loser. It is a, it is a respectful conversation between two powerful people for the purpose of resolving an issue that's between them that's causing pain. So that when we remove this thing that's causing the problem, we can be closer than we were before that problem came up. That's kingdom confrontation. Confrontation is about bringing something to the light. So if I'm, if I'm being confronted by someone in the kingdom, this is how it should happen. You should come to me and say, I'm bringing you information that I'm not sure you're aware of. This is how people are experiencing you right now. You make people feel stupid. <laughs> I don't mean to. I didn't try to. I know that's why I'm telling you. I'm turning the light on. I know you don't mean to hurt people. I know you're not trying to talk down to them. But sometimes you do. And it hurts people. So what can we do to, to stop that? And we work together to fix it. That's what it looks like. It's completely different in the kingdom. It's coming in a spirit of gentleness. We're turning the lights on so, so the person has the opportunity to change. You're not bringing what I should do to me. You're turning the lights on and letting me remember that I'm wise and that I'm awesome and that I can solve this. Everybody okay? Confrontation is always about identity, not always behavior. I can't wait to drive it home here in just a moment. So see, we're in a grace culture. Okay? How many believe that? Grace, the empowering presence of God, where we cheer each other on, get closer to the Lord at all costs, and we're going to cheer you on. Right? In a grace culture, what is in our heart has the freedom to rise to the surface and invite confrontation. Why am I talking about this? It's really weird because I, I, I'm seeing where we're going and there's, huh, there's something really special in here. There's something special about the way we're pursuing God. There, there is. It's different. I don't know if I've ever felt what I, there's like this momentum of grace in this house and I want to protect it at all costs. I'm not afraid it's going to stop, but I want to protect it because I value it. Does that make sense? And so in this great grace culture, there is going to be times where we need to be confronted. And when we begin to do this part of it, the, this church will go to another level. I'm telling you. When we begin to do it this way in a healthy, pure, loving way, you're going to see the standard of righteousness and the kingdom standard raised even more in this house. And the momentum that's created from that standard being raised will suck people into the kingdom. I just know it. I'm telling you. <clears throat> if you don't have a grace culture, you have a law culture. You stay with me a few more moments. If you don't have a grace culture, it means you have a law culture. And in a law culture, there is no need to confront anyone. 
Because all you have to do is throw the law in their face. You broke the law. So, okay, what happens when you break that law? This is the punishment that goes, okay, so you broke the law. Here's your punishment. Go to timeout. There's no need for confrontation. The law confronts you. And not only does it confront you, it's the original dictionary definition. It's hostile toward you. It's opposed to you, and you're going to lose here because you broke the law. It doesn't matter what the law is. We can build our own laws into culture here that are unspoken. You can't say that. We can build stuff into the culture. And when someone steps over the line, bam, here's the law in your face. Here's the punishment goes with the law. Now be gone from my presence. A grace culture is not like that. We're for each other in a grace culture. I don't want to throw the law in, in your face. I don't want you to throw the law in my face. I want you to turn the lights on if I did something that I didn't know I did, or maybe I did know, but I want the lights turned on. See, in a grace culture, it requires agreement between people. It's called relationship. I don't have a relationship with the law. We don't have a relationship with the law of God. We have a relationship with God, with him. Who says he's for me, not against me? He says he's on my side. Who believes that if I do dumb things, I'm going to figure it out because his presence will help me figure it out. And that I will be righteous. I may be struggling right now to figure what that looks like, but he knows I'm going to be righteous. Because how can he walk with me with his wings around me and me not become like him? How, how can we walk with God and not sound like him when we talk? How can we walk with God and not smell like him when we enter a room? He trusts us. He has full confidence that we're going to be okay. And so in this grace culture, we've said yes to something. How many have said yes? And keep saying yes. I have come into an agreement with him. So I've entered into a grace culture through agreement. And that agreement produces the fruit of the culture I agreed to. All right, stay with me. We're closing it out. Here's the point. So in 2 Samuel, let's go there. Second Samuel verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. Shagun mentioned this story last week. This is after David did a lot of evil things. Quick summary. He sends out one of his, his friends, Uriah, one of his buddies, one of his mighty men. He decides that he likes his wife because David wasn't where he should have been, out at war. He, he sleeps with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. And David's like, oh, no, everyone's going to figure out what I did was wrong because now there's fruit. So he devises a plan. He plots. He's deceitful. He plots against his own, own friend who's so honorable. He says, I can't come sleep in my house while my brothers are out at war, sleeping on the ground. I can't come sleep with my wife when my brothers are out alone, bloody, wounded, hurt from war. So he wouldn't even go into the gate of his home. He slept outside on the ground because he was such a man of honor. 
What a great man. So David's like, oh, man, this guy. What am I going to do? All right, y'all put him at the front of the line. He's one of my best warriors. Tell everyone else what retreat sounds like with the trumpet, but don't tell him. Tell him that it means charge. It's basically what happened. So when they sounded the trumpet to retreat from the war, he thought it meant charge, and he ran into battle, and he got killed. So David has a man who was one of his buddies, one of the men who was his mighty men, who traveled with him and fought with him. It was a man of honor. He had him killed because he got his wife pregnant. So here we are. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said, There were two men in the city. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little lamb, which he had, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him like it was one of his own children. Come on. Hey, even in Bible times, people were treating pets like children. (laughs) Even in the Bible. (sighs) It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup. It was like a daughter to him. This is crazy, right? And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from the own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for that man because he didn't want to give up one of his. So he tells David a story, all right? And David's anger was aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this thing should die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this evil thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord's, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you anything else you wanted. Whoa, what a rebuke. Like I've given you everything. And if that wasn't enough, you could have asked for it. I would have given it to you. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord and done evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. He's saying you used Ammon to kill him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart your house because you've despised me and have taken his wife to be your wife. Behold, I will raise up great adversity against you and your house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall... And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did, in, did it secretly, but I'm doing this in front of all of Israel like the sun. Boom. Yeah. Tough story, right? It's not a story. It really happened. Yeah, come on. It's a true story. And there's a couple of things I want to close with. Nathan did not come to him with the law to confront him. He brought him a story. He told him a story. And by telling David this story, David's following this story, it reminded David of how he's supposed to act. Get this. And this hit me last week when you were preaching on this thought. That this story Nathan told got David to thinking in his right mind again 
And so because he was thinking correctly, he addressed the story with wisdom that he had forgotten for himself until Nathan reminded him. Uh, David, now that you're back in your right mind and you're thinking properly, I, I just told you this story so that you remember who you are. You're the guy in the story. And David responded, well, he immediately fell to the ground, wept. Why? Because he remembered who he was. He was confronted with who he was and who he was before he acted like an idiot. <laughs> and I, I wanted to tell this to close up a culture of confrontation. This is how we confront people. We remind them who they are. Because I know you're a righteous man, David, I'm going to tell you this story. Because you're going to think righteously. And then you're going to remember, like the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, and when he remembered, whoa, wait a second. My dad's a wealthy man, and he's good to, good to his servants. Maybe he'll let me come back. That's what confrontation does. It says, hey, remember who you are? And then that's the end of it as far as bringing stuff to the light. Now it was David's job to figure out how to respond. Are you guys okay? And David chose to repent. Nathan had every right as a prophet to come in and say, the word of the Lord is against you, David. You better fall on your face and you better repent. But see, that's bringing the law, and here's the punishment that goes with the law. But confrontation in the kingdom is not like that. It says, here's who you are. Here's who you've always been. Remember that. Now, what do you, what do you need to do to clean up your mess? And then it's up to them to figure it out. And I loved this story, and I wanted to tie it to... This is how we're going to build the culture here and protect the culture. We're not here to crush anyone. We're not here to, to modify your behavior. But we are here to remind you who you are. And we are here for you to remind me of who I am. We were put together for this reason. He put us together because he trusts us with each other. So going forward... This is the next step in our maturity as a church. Are we confrontable? Or do we get offended when someone brings something to the light that we're not really proud of? I want us today to make a covenant and say, I want to be confrontable. Anyone can confront me. I'm telling you this, me talking right now. I'm not using this as a story. I can be confronted by anyone of you. Your kids can confront me. If I'm mean to one of your kids, they can tell me, hey, you were mean to me. I'm not going to get offended. I don't want to be mean to your kids. <laughs> Naomi will do it. <laughs> I would never want to do that. I'm telling you, this has always been the way I've been or we've been. We get, like, we feel like we got to protect ourselves and we, like porcupines, we bristle up and we're like, oh, stay away from me. Don't tell me I didn't. No, I want, I want to be confronted. Because I have blind spots. I do things sometimes I don't know. I came across a certain way. Sometimes Mandy's like, you're so awkward there. I was like, perfectly normal to me. <laughs> you know, I'm like the most awkward person. She's like, why did you? I don't know. Like, well, don't do that. It's, not, it's awkward. I'm embarrassed to be with you. Okay, I had no idea. I will fix it. Do the same stupid thing next time. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to stay this way. I want the kingdom. I want the kingdom, and it's valuable. Amen. Would you stand and let's just...
This is how we're going to close today. We're going to pray into this right here, and we're going to hand the mic off to Hank and Ashley, and we're going to go for it in the altars for anyone that needs prayer for anything else. They're going to take it and run with it. But first things first, would you bow your heads? The Lord disciplines those he loves. Do you have to love me so much, Lord? (laughs) He disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines a child. So let's just make a covenant. Whatever words you want to use now, we're going to close with that. Father, I come to you. You pray on your own make a covenant with you I want you to confront me I want others to confront me I don't want to be arrogant I don't want to have to be right I don't want to be easily offended and God we will guard this with all diligence we'll guard our own heart and we'll guard the heart of this house because you're doing something amazing. You're doing and building something that our kids are going to take hold of. And our grandkids. Like, I really see this. Hmm. He's for us, not against us. People in this room are for you, not against you. Come on. Father, we will celebrate and we will reward the culture we want in this house, that you want in this house, but we will also confront. We will be brave and merciful. 